I've used this illustration before. You know, there's great peace when you live within the rules. Have you ever noticed that? The anxiety comes when you live on the edge, you break the rules. You know, that's when anxiety comes. That's when the, the discontent comes. Uh, I, for many years, uh, have, uh, have practiced or tried to practice as best I could uh, that uh, the speed limits, which I think are the most ridiculous things in the world, but they are the law of the land, I uh, look at those things as, as being the, the maximum. That, by the way, that's what they're intended to be. Some of you I've seen drive, you think those are the minimums. And, uh, and you know, it's interesting because uh, a number of years ago when I was on a vacation with my family, uh, my wife decided that she was going to drive. I had driven all night. I was having a hard time staying awake. And so she began to drive, and I uh, was sitting in the passenger seat and had dozed off. And uh, I felt like I had only been asleep for maybe a, a minute or two, and all of a sudden... Uh, she hit the brakes, and I go flying forward in the seatbelt, and I thought, what in the world is happening? Are we in the middle of a wreck? And I kind of wake up, and my mind's kind of fuzzy, and I look over, and there's a highway patrolman sitting on the side of the road. And I thought, don't do that. <laughs> it scared me to death. <clears throat> and the truth is, it scared her to death. Because she and I had a different look on things. I thought of the speed limit as the maximum. She thought of it as the minimum. And uh, I'll tell you this, that when I drove and she was sleeping, I could put the thing on cruise control and I could wave at the state troopers. I went by and smile at him and grin. And, you know, there was no anxiety. I had no fear of being caught. But those that break the rules, they're always looking over their shoulder and wondering, where, where's the next policeman at? You know, where's, am I going to, if I, if I run through this, if I roll through the stop sign, if I run through that red light, where are they at? Are they here? Are they going and, to, um, and I say that is a silly illustration, but the truth is, we all believe that there are certain rules that are important and those that are not important. The truth of the matter is, there are two types of commandments that God gives in Scripture. Those that we think are important, and those that we think are not all that important. You ever notice that? There's some that we hold to, and in fact, if anybody doesn't hold to them, we make sure they know that or they know that they didn't hold on to them, and we'll get on to them about it. Boy, you shoulda, you shoulda, you shoulda, because they're ones that we think are important. But what about the ones that we don't think are all that important? You say, Pastor, aren't they all important? Absolutely, they're all His commands. But the ones we don't think are that important are the ones that we don't have a problem not following. You ever notice that? Those we're not quite as vocal about. Those we don't get so upset at somebody else for not keeping them either because we're not keeping them ourselves. Jesus does not make such a distinction. Only you and I do. And he says in verse number 15 of John chapter 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. It's interesting because in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 22, verse number 31, God commands the nation of Israel that they are to keep His commandments. This is, you have to do this. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. We get to the New Testament, and Christ makes this statement, not just one time, but He makes it a second time. Look with me if you will in verse number 21. He reiterates this principle as He says, He that hath my commandments 
and keepeth him them, he it is that what? Loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Two different times he speaks of the fact that if we love him, we might keep his commandments. I know, we'll keep the ones that are important, but not the ones that are unimportant. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine doesn't either. My Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. All of them. The ones that we think are important and the ones that we do not think are important. This morning, I'm going to launch a series of messages, Lord willing, over the next several Sundays. We're going to take several things from Scripture of commandments that God has given that I think sometimes we don't give a whole lot of thought to. And things that I think need to be reminded, we need to be reminded of. And things that I hope, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not going to preach these from a standpoint of, I don't have a problem with it, and you all do, so you all need to get it right. I'll tell you right now, I struggle with these things just as much as anybody else does. And we're all in this boat. And if I'm preaching to anybody this morning, I'm preaching to myself and you included. And we need to all understand this. We need to all come to this decision. We need to all understand the fact that we are to keep the commandments of God. There are several reasons why we need to keep all of God's commandments. Number one, because He's God and He has the right to tell us what to do. He owns us. He's bought us with a price. He has every right. That ought to be the only reason we need. But the other thing is, He loves me. And because He loves me, He wants what is best for me. And when He gives me a command, it's not because He's sitting up in heaven thinking, what can I do to make that man's life miserable? Or what can I do to stifle the fun that he can have? I, I just He's having too much enjoyment in life. Let me give him a commandment that will slow that enjoyment down. That's not what God does. God, The Bible says that Christ came to give us life and to give us life more what? Abundantly. He wants us to live the fullest life. He wants us to live the most. He, says, I, he tells us over and over again, He says, I want your joy to be full. I want there to be this, this richness to your life. And therefore, I'm going to give you some commandments that will help you to live in a way that your life will be full and overflowing. It'll be abundant. It'll be something that you love. And I think so, so often, if we're not careful, we look at certain commandments that our flesh enjoy disobeying and say, well, God's just doing that to, 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 to uh, squelch my personality. He's doing that to, to make it not fun. No, he's doing that because he wants you to have the greatest life in this world. He's doing that because he knows what is best for you. And while we may not understand it because the world's philosophy and the world's uh, truth is, is so diametrically opposed to God's truth, uh, we, we tend to have our own will in the matter. Uh, there, there certainly is the, the, best, the, 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 the trust that we can put in God knowing that he has our best interest at heart. He loves us. And he wants us to live a life that is full and rich. He wants us to live a life that is not worried and, and fraught with anxiety. He wants us to live a life of peace. In fact, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And all this thing that God wants us to have. He tells us to add to our faith uh, virtue and to virtue kindness and to kindness uh, brotherly uh, and to, uh, 
virtue, faith, and uh, add to our faith, virtue to virtue. I can't remember all of them. But anyway, <laughs> I'll have to get that one too. Let's look at it because I don't want to leave you hanging on that one. We've got to see this one. So give me a minute because I want you to see how Christ wants us to live. So let's look, if we will. I think it's First Peter. Is it First Peter? Uh, let's see here. I believe so, yes. All right. Uh, maybe. We're going to get it here in just a second. Did I miss it? I missed it somewhere. I'm not even going to be able to show it to you here. There we go. All right, here we go. Second <clears throat> uh, Peter, chapter number 1. And notice how he wants us to, to live here. Verse number 3, According as his divine power hath given us unto us, what? All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great, and notice this, precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through us, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, there we go, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you so that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Oh, that we would learn to live the life that God intended for us to live. Why? How do we do that? By keeping His commandments. The important ones, Pastor? No, all of them. All of them. And so we're going to look at several. Today we're going to look at a particular topic of relationships. There are three relationships specifically we're going to be looking at. And uh, I want us to take a look at these things where God gives us guidelines on how we're to interact one with another because they, they help picture how we're to respond to Christ. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll be dealing with another topic of commandments that oftentimes we may know, we may even quote the verses, but we have a hard time living them because we don't think that they're as important as some of the, the big commandments, you know. So let's take a moment, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. <clears throat> I'm going to begin in verse number 1, because I believe this is very, very critical. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Once again, we see another time where Christ is telling us that we are to to be obedient to Him in every area. But He makes this statement in verse 1. He says, Be therefore followers of God as what? As dear children. Now, how are dear children supposed to follow? Well, we find that over in chapter number 6 and verse number 1. So take a moment and look over there. Children, okay, here we go. We're on the right topic, right? Children, this is how we're to follow as children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is what? This is right. 
when it comes to our obedience or our following of Christ, the first thing we need to understand is we're to be obedient to Him. Not because He gives us a reward for it. We are obedient because it is right. And we are obedient because it's what we're supposed to do. It's just the norm. It's what's acceptable. It's what is expected of a Christian. We are to be obedient to Christ. Then he goes on to say, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with what? With promise. Now we see a reward coming into the picture. But the reward is not for the obedience. The reward is for the what? It's for the honoring. There's a difference here, don't you understand? And I've shared this before. It's been a while back. But when I was a kid, oftentimes uh, I would get whippings all the, all the time. I was one of those kids that just never seemed to learn. And uh, my dad would often tell me, uh, or my mom might tell me, Greg, I want you to go take the trash out. I hated taking the trash out. There were wasps and bees out there and things that would hurt me, little creepy crawlies around the trash can. I didn't like that. And I went out there and I'd stand ten feet from it and throw the bag towards the trash can, hoping it would go in. And if it didn't and bust open, I just went inside and acted like I didn't know anything until they came out and gave me a whipping and sent me out to pick the trash up again and then put it in the trash can. And I hated taking the trash out. And if my mom came to me one day and said, Greg, I want you to take the trash out, and I said, yes, ma'am, and I kind of stomped over, and I grabbed that trash bag, and I yank it out of there, and I stomped to the door, and I go to the trash can, I throw it in the trash can, slam the lid on top of it, walk back in the house. Have I obeyed my mother? Well, sure. I have done what she told me to do. Let me ask you this question. Did I honor my mother? No. Big difference there, isn't it? We're to obey simply because it's right. But above obeying, we're to honor. Honor is obedience with joy. Honor is obedience with joy. There were a few times, not very often, that I would get up earlier than my mom and I would walk into the kitchen, I'd see that the trash was full and overflowing. And I would well up with nobility in my heart. And I would think, I'm going to please my mom. She's going to talk about brownie points. She's going to fix me my best meal. And I thought, I'm going to just do something nice for her. And I'd take that trash can out. And I would empty it. And she wouldn't even tell me. Just because I knew... That was what her heart desired. She didn't have to tell me. I did it willingly and I did it with joy because I loved her. Can I tell you, that would be honoring. And I will tell you this, it worked. (laughs) Oftentimes, I got the brownie points. Oftentimes, I got the favorite meal. Why? Because there is a distinction between obedience and honor. Paul tells the church at Ephesus in chapter 5 that we're to follow Christ like this. We're to follow God like this. We're to follow God not just in obedience, but we're to follow Him in honor. That means that when it comes to the things of His commands, the things He tells us to do, we're not to just say, okay, God, I'll do them. I'll be obedient. That's not what the love that He's speaking of in John chapter 14 is about. The love comes in when the honoring comes in. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love Him. And we know that that's His heart's desire. And we know we want to please Him. And that's our motivation. 
is to serve and to obey and to follow these commands, not because I have to, and with grudging and with, with resentment and with sometimes even bitterness in our hearts. But we, we do it out of joy because of our love for Him. Now notice with me, He deals with, and God always seems to do this throughout history. As you look in the Bible, He deals with uh, relationships, and He does so here in chapter number 5. He deals with three specific types of relationships here. There's actually a fourth one, but the fourth one ties into one of them, and we'll show you how that is in just a moment. But God deals with three different types of relationships here because all three of them picture our relationship to Him. Let's take a look real quick, if you will, as we get down to verse number 19. I'm sorry, verse number, um, let's go to verse number 21, excuse me. Verse number 21, He begins by dealing with the idea of relationships by saying this statement. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In other words, you say, well, submitting myself one to another. What if somebody wants me to do something that's wrong? Well, that's not in the fear of God, obviously. So anything that's right, anything we know to be right, anything we know to be a virtue, anything we know to be wholesome, we are to submit one to another. I'm to defer to others. And others are to defer to me. And that's, that's the way God intends for relationships to work. He deals with three specific ones here as we get to the end of chapter 5 and into the beginning of chapter number 6. He begins in verse number 22 with the relationship of a husband and wife. And uh, it's interesting that when God created Adam, He gave Adam one responsibility. (laughs) Wouldn't that be wonderful, men, to have only one responsibility still, right? He put him in the garden and He told him, He said, I want you to keep the garden. That was it. Tend to it. Keep the garden. That was all Adam had to worry about. And then he brings a woman into his life because he said it's not good that man should be alone. And now he gives Adam more responsibility. He says, now you not only have to keep the garden, but you have a wife. And you've got to cherish her. You've got to protect her. and You've got to provide for her. And he tells the wife, now you've got some responsibilities too. You're to be a help meet for him. A help that is the completion of, or the, 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 the suitor of, or the, the, the one that is suitable to help him in the needs that he has. She is to be a help to him. A help to him what? What was his responsibility first? To do the work that God had given him to do, isn't it? She is to undergird the husband and help him do the work God has given him to do. That's her role. That's what she's supposed to do. And women, when you first created, that was pretty much it. Just be a helpmeet to your husband. And then kids come along. And now you've got way more responsibility than even the men do. You all know what that's like. Now you've got to love and protect and cherish your children. And you have to rear them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And you're to do that with your husband. Now let's take a look at some things here. Because God gives some very specific instructions in uh, Ephesians chapter number 5. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. By the way, not to all men. It says to your own husbands here, okay? Don't get that confused. I've seen men get out here and be like, women are subservient to men. No, that's not what the Bible teaches here. A wife is to be submissive to her husband because that's the order that God has given. And you'll see here in a minute that this is not a demotion in the area of ladies and women. It is actually an elevation 
And, and I want you to see this as we get to verse number 22, that wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's a very, very critical statement here. For the husband, look at this very carefully, is the what? He's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Now, even though he's dealing here with wives, we already see some instructions indirectly given to husbands. I'm going to start there, and then we're going to come back to the wife issue. In verse number 23, he says that the husband is to be the head of the wife. By the way, let me just make this statement. Men, you are to be the spiritual head of your home. You're to be the one that leads your wife and says, we're going to spend some time in prayer or we're going to read the Bible together, or we're going to have family devotions, or we're going to church. You are to be the one that takes the lead in these areas. You're the one that is to be able to give an answer when she comes to you with a doctrinal question, which the Bible says in another place, wives are to go to their own husbands to ask these things. If you are to be able to give the doctrinal answer, then you've got to be the one that studies and walks with God daily so that your wife can come to you and say, I, I don't understand what this means. And you can open the Bible and you won't have to say, you need to go ask pastor. You need to be able to rightly handle the Word of God and say, this is what the Bible says. And then uh, let's go find other places in Scripture that support that so we know that we're understanding it correctly. And you lead your wife that way. Why? Because that's what Christ did for the church. He gives a parallel here. Husbands, listen for a moment. He gives a parallel here of the husband leading the wife and being the head of the wife the way that Christ is the head of the church. What did Christ do for the church? Can I, can I sum it up in a, in a phrase here that we do not often put it in these words? Christ put the interest of the individuals, the people that make up the church, those that needed to be saved, He put the interest of you and I above His own. Think about that for a moment. He goes to Gethsemane. He begins to pray. Father, if there be any other way for me to be able to give this gift to these folks, to be able to save them of their sin, to be able to see a church that is pure and spotless, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You know what he said in those words? He was saying the needs of the lost sinner I'm going to put before my needs. Men, we're to be the head of our wives that way. My wife, her needs are to be before my needs. Why? Because that's what Christ did for the church. He says, for the husband is to be the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Notice this and is the Savior of the body. The body could not save itself, could it? Is there any one of us that can do anything to get ourselves to heaven other than through Christ? 
Not one of us. We can't do it. We are incapable of doing it. We do not have the ability to do it. And yet Christ came and said, since you don't have the ability, I will do it for you. Even though he's dealing here with wives, we find some very pointed things given to the, to the husbands, don't we? I'm to make up the shortcomings of my wife. When it comes to the things that I see wrong in her, I'm not to sit here and gripe and complain and get all over her and nag her about them. I'm to overcome those things for her and to be her strength in those areas that she's weak in. By the way, she's also the strength in the areas that we are weak in, men. That's the way God intended it. We men are unsympathetic. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever had kids... They stop and skin their knee. Our, our mindset is, we got to hurry, we're late, rub some dirt in it, let's go. That's our weakness. We don't know how to show sympathy. But you let Mama see that skin knee. Oh my. She's going to take that kid in her arms and she's going to uh, put some, some medicine on it and blow on it and put a kiss on it to make it feel better. And even if it doesn't feel better, she's going to make them think it feels better. Why? Because that's the weakness we have, men. That's not the way God created us. But ladies, on the other hand, there are weaknesses of getting things done and making decisive decisions and being aggressive and dealing with things in life. God did not make that your strength. God made that the strength of a man. We find that wives are to submit themselves unto their own husbands as unto the Lord. Men, that doesn't mean that you walk around and you lord over your wife. It doesn't mean she go around demanding her submission. But men, we are to look at the needs that she has and say the needs that she has, I'm going to put those needs above mine. Why? Because that's what Christ did. He looked at sinful man Did Christ have to die for us? (laughs) No, not at all. And to be honest with you, if you think about who Christ is, why would He even want to die for us? Because He loved us. And He didn't have to. It wasn't something somebody twisted His arm. He looked down, He saw us, and He said, I love them. And the need that they have... I'm going to put it above mine. And I'm going to lay my life down and go to Calvary for them. Not that God has any needs, but He made a need in His life that you and I had. He made it His. And He put it above everything that He desired. This is the way that a husband is to be the head of the wife. He goes on to tell the husbands in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Notice this phrase, and gave himself for it. Again, the idea of laying aside our needs, our desires, and seeing the need that our wife has and saying, I've got to be there to help with that need. Men, we are, I'm going to use a bad word here in church for a minute, we are stupid in that area. Oftentimes, we need a wife to tell us what that need is. 
And wives, sometimes you'll have to understand that, that we need to be told because we don't always see it. I've had several times in my life where I've been like, what do you need? Well, you should know. And if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> how, how much does that help? But anyway, understand, ladies, that sometimes men are not really good at that. And so there needs to be a mutual understanding of these and a working together for them. Don't feel afraid to go to your husband and tell him, I need this. This is something that's a need for me. Don't feel bad about that. Why? Because He needs to be able to take care of you. Even though Christ uses an analogy here of how He is the head of the, the, the church, Christ has a, a benefit over the men in that He does know. We men, we do not. But we're still supposed to be loving our wives. Notice as He loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. By the way, Christ giving Himself for the church had a purifying effect on the church. Men, can I tell you this? When we meet the needs of our wives, it will help them in the areas that, that we look at as their shortcomings. And it won't take too long before we'll look at it and say, they don't have that shortcoming anymore. I was able to help with that. Notice that he says in verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. That's a pretty strong statement. What's he saying here? Once again, the same idea. I'm going to put the needs of my wife above the needs of myself. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and what? Cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Men, what is our responsibility to our wives? Well, we're to lead them. We're to be the head, the spiritual head of the home. But we also find here that we're to be there to nourish them, to care for their needs. And not just care for their needs, but to cherish them. To cherish them. Some of us have men, some of us have things that are that are very very special to us. Um, it might be that trophy we won in high school, honey. Don't don't touch that trophy. <laughs> it might be a signed baseball by Babe Ruth or something of that effect. Oh boy, you build a plaque around it, a shrine almost in your house for it. Some of us it might be a vehicle, a car. We get out there and we wash it, and we wax it every other day, and it's in the garage, and it gets a, a cover and a blanket over it. We tuck it in at night before we go to bed. Things that we love, we nourish, we, we care for it, we cherish it. We treat it special. That's what cherishing does. Do we treat our wife special? <laughs> I remember year, years ago dating and things I did. Stupid stuff. You ever notice that? We acted like idiots when we were dating our, our wives, didn't we men? Some of us. You did things to try to impress her. You did things to try to show how much you cared for her. And you did little silly things. And they were silly, but they were precious because they showed you cared. And then you got married. 
and maybe for the first year or two you still did some of that, but after three or four or five years it kind of seemed to dwindle. Why? Because we stopped cherishing that which was precious to us. Our responsibility is to nourish and cherish our wife. Why? Because that's what Christ has done with the church. He has nourished the church. He cherisheth the church. And our responsibility of relationships in this life is to be an example and an illustration of the relationship that Christ has with us. Our, our relationships are to model that relationship that Christ has. And so the first relationship that Paul deals with here in the book of Ephesians is a relationship of husband and wife. And by the way, the Bible talks about the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. He's At one of these days, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be uh, taken up to heaven. And we're going to be able to sit, the Bible says, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have a marriage supper with Him. There's going to come a time where God the Father tells Christ, it's time, go get your bride. Bring her home. This idea of, of, of the bride and, the, and the, the marriage. Why? Because God loved us with an unselfish love, a nourishing love, a cherishing love. And there's no doubt that He is the spiritual head of our home. That's one of the relationships that God gave us in this earth to help picture the relationship that we have with Him. But there's another one that He gives. As we come down to verse number, uh, uh, chapter number 6 and verse number 1, he deals with another relationship, and that is the relationship between children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That is how we're supposed to respond to him. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now notice this. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we find the children's responsibility to the parent is to obey and to honor. And the responsibility of the parent to the children is to rear them and to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Doesn't Christ do that for us? He nurtures us. There's no doubt about that. Anybody here that's been saved any length of time knows that God has certainly had a nurturing attitude towards us. He nurtures us. But the truth is, He also admonishes us sometimes, doesn't He? I don't like the not admonishing nearly as much as I like the nurturing. You ever, you ever understand that? You know what I'm talking about? I loved when Mama nurtured. I did not like it when she admonished. I liked when Dad nurtured. I did not like it when he admonished. And so we have a responsibility to our children. That we are to nurture them. And we are to admonish them. And to show them how they can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a picture, a relationship on this earth that pictures our relationship with Christ. The Bible says uh, that we are uh, able to become, the Bible says, the sons of God. We get the opportunity to be His children. We are to treat and to have a relationship with Him like a 
child does to a parent. We are able to come to Him and to call Him Father. To lay our petitions at His feet and expect that He's going to do something about it. Uh, there, there are times that Jonathan will say, uh, the other day we went to uh, Panera Bread. And Jonathan said, Dad, I think let's go to Panera Bread. That sounds good. Let's go there. And so we get up there. We, we order our food. And the lady told us what it was going to cost. And I look over at him. He's got a wallet in his back pocket. He's got money in it. He's got a debit card. I look at him. I said, pay the lady. He's like, no, I'm not paying them. I said, why not? Dad, come on. You know why? Because he expected Dad's going to pay for it. Right? And, and that's, that's normal. I mean, I did it to be funny with him. We were cutting up about it. But there are people that are not my kids. And if we ever went out to eat, and we ordered our food, and they just looked over at me like, I'm expecting you to pay for it, I'd be like, who are you? <laughs> You're not my child. God nurtures us because we're His children. By the way, there are times I get on to Jonathan, he gets punished for things that he does wrong. I don't punish other people's kids. You know why? Because they're not mine. So sometimes God admonishes us too. And again, we find a, a relationship given and taught in Ephesians that pictures a relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a third relationship here. As we get down to verse number 5 of chapter 6, he says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto the Lord, uh, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now, the idea of eye service is I, I do what's expected of me when the boss is watching. But when he's not, you know the old adage, when the cat's away, the mice play? That's the idea that is being given here. You don't serve just when he's watching. Or just when you think you're going to do something that he'll be able to brag on you about. You do what he expects you to do all the time. You do it as under the Lord. You do it as servants of the Lord from the heart. Because he's my master, I want to please him. I want to make sure I'm doing what is expected of me as the servant. With goodwill, doing the service as to the Lord and not to men. Verse number 8, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. And so we find here again, as a servant, uh, what the responsibility of the servant is to the master, and what the responsibility of the master is to the servant. As he says in verse number 9, Ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. We find three different relationships that are given here. Now, we started the message in John chapter 14, and we're going to wrap it up here all together now that we've seen this and taught this from Scripture. We started in John chapter 14 that said, If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. Then we go to Ephesians 5 and we find a lot of commandments that God gives us. My message this morning is this. If we love Him, we're to keep these commandments. What are they? Let's take a quick review of them. Husbands, we're to love our wives 
as Christ loved the church. That means I'm to put her needs before me. I'm to nurture her, verse number 29, and I'm to cherish her. She is to be special. She is to be put on the pedestal. I will tell you this, growing up, my dad treated my mom like a queen. And in front of us kids especially, he made sure that we knew that she was the most special thing in his life on this earth. He cherished her. That's the way husbands, that's our command that God gives us as husbands. Wives, here's your command. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. How are we supposed to submit to the Lord? He said if we love Him, we're to keep His commandments. By the way, if men are doing their part, biblically, wives will have no problem doing their part. And can I tell you this, wives, if you're doing your part, biblically, it will encourage the man to do his part, biblically. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? It's almost like God expects both of them to do their part and to have a happy and a strong home. Might be what he had intended there. Then we have parents to children and children to parents. We are the children. Christ is the parent. What is our commandment as a child? We're to obey Him because it's right. And we're to honor Him so that we can get things from Him that we have reward. Now, that's not... We don't, we don't obey so that we get a lot of things. But when we honor Him, when we do things that are pleasing to Him... There's no doubt that His blessings are upon us. And that is a promise of Scripture. Then is the responsibility of the servant to the master. What are our commands as a servant? We're to be obedient unto Him as unto the Lord. We're to have a singleness of heart that's dealing here with our loyalty as unto Christ. And we are to not do our service only as I service. Only when people are looking and can pat us on the back for what we've done. We do it because we love Him. And we're doing our best to please Him. We're doing it from the heart. God gives us these commands with regards to our relationships in life. Here's our problem most of the time. We look at these commands most of the time as the ones that are not that important. Well, God understands. He just doesn't understand my life. He doesn't understand the things I'm involved in. Well, sure He does. There's still commands that He's given to us. Well, what, if, what, if, what if my master doesn't follow, his, follow through with his side of it? does not negate that I'm to follow through with my side of it as a servant. Well, what if my parents don't fill their obligation? doesn't mean I'm not obligated as a child to do what I'm supposed to do. What if a husband doesn't do what he's supposed to do? Doesn't negate what I'm supposed to do as a wife. What if my wife doesn't do what she's supposed to do? Does not negate what I'm supposed to do as a husband. If we love him, keep his commandments. 
we love Him, keep His commandments. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at several areas that I think are often looked at as the unimportant commandments. The ones that we are more prone to kind of, kind of shy away from than others of Scripture. I hope that will be a help to us this morning. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed, please. We don't have a pianist this morning, but I do want to give an opportunity for people to respond to the preaching. And uh, we're going to have just a word of prayer. If God's spoken to you, our altars will be open. I'm going to ask if you would to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed so that people can have privacy if they would like to pray. That they can do so either here at the altar or in their seats. Father, we do pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Lord, not really a subject that we teach or preach on an awful lot, but one that certainly is needful in the day that we live. Or a number of things here recently that have come to mind and come to heart of things that are biblical, things that are commands that you've given to us that oftentimes we tend to kind of not really pursue those commands. We, we don't seem to have as big an issue breaking those commands as we do perhaps some others. And so, Father, help us to understand and to realize that everything that you've given to us in your word is not to make our lives miserable. It's not to make our lives sad or under so much rules that we can't move around. But, Lord, it is to bring great peace. It is to bring great joy to our lives, to strengthen families, to strengthen homes, to strengthen work relationships. And in all of it, to be a testimony, a shining testimony of the relationship that you have with us. And so, Father, may we glorify you by our earthly relationships. May we illustrate so vividly through our earthly relationships the wonderful relationships that you have with each of us. May we picture that. May people see uh, the difference. And may they understand that you've made a change in our lives. Bless the invitation. And Lord, the message has really been primarily to those that are saved today. But if there is someone here today that does not know if they were to die that they would go to heaven, maybe they've been trying to live a good life or trying to to do things that are uh, pleasing to men, but they've not put their faith and trust in You. They've never had a moment in their life that they have said, I'm not trusting what I can do to get to heaven, but I'm trusting You. 